Welcome to San Diego News Fix, The Backstory. I'm Luis Cruz. Rarely, if ever, is the public made aware of the reasoning behind a DA's office's decision not to file charges in a case. But recently, an audio recording obtained by the Union Tribune provided insight into why the San Diego County District Attorney's Office decided not to file criminal charges against three now former San Diego State University football players accused of rape. Joining us now to discuss the latest developments in this case are Union Tribune Public Safety Editor Dana Littlefield, Public Safety Reporter Terry Figueroa, Public Safety Reporter and Saturday Editor Lindsay Winkley, Managing Editor Laura Sicalo, and we begin with Editor and Publisher Jeff Flight. Jeff? Okay, excellent. Thank you, Luis. And uh, thank you, Lindsay and Terry, for your really good work on this story uh, over the last uh last uh, more than a year, and in particular last week. So, Terry, uh, a lot of news developing on the San Diego uh, State case. Maybe just bring our listeners up to date on uh, the developments of the last week or so. So this case um, does not have a criminal um, case element to it, but it's very much moving forward still in the civil arena. And some of the evidence, particularly um, video evidence recovered during the criminal investigation is uh, kind of center stage right now in the civil case. There's a battle over whether or not those particular videos can be viewed. They were um, videos taken, uh, very graphic videos taken during um, what the the young woman has said was, was a sexual assault. Um, so those are being battled over. And, and last week, a judge said that those could be unsealed, um, but whether or not they can be viewed by anyone is still very much a legal question and a legal battle. Uh, the young woman was 17 at the time. So technically those videos are considered child pornography. So there's, there's a battle right now over whether or not those will be ever, ever viewed or turned over to anyone outside of the criminal investigation. Secondly, um, the Union Tribune had obtained an audio um, from last December of the district district attorney who handled the case, the deputy district attorney, informing the young woman that there would not be criminal charges brought in this case and why. And that audio gave us some real insight into why the district attorney's office decided not to bring charges in this case. And so we we got a chance to, to listen to that. Yeah, so uh, uh, Lindsay, we, we were discussing a little bit before going on air how this uh, uh, unusual view into the criminal justice process really uh, solves a big journalism question or, or dilemma for us, which is in cases where charges are not filed, but public allegations have been made, typically uh, a lot of this uh, is aired in, uh, in, in the media through through reporting, especially where there you know are cases of uh, high profile people or consequential issues like this one. And then if no charges are filed, nobody ever finds out why, and it feels inherently unfair. and we're sort of stuck uh, trying to um, trying to be fair in that situation. So tell me a little bit about the story that you two wrote this weekend and uh, and uh, what you saw in in those tapes. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I do, I do sort of want to piggyback off of sort of what you just said, because it is a a sort of like an inherently dissatisfying process for everybody involved. It's not just the individuals who want the public to know why charges weren't filed in more detail, but it's also the individuals who may have questions, concerns that the process wasn't handled correctly and that charges should have been filed and they weren't. And so being able to provide a lot of additional information about the reasoning, um, while I won't sit here and say that I'm sure that it satisfied, you know, everybody's last question, I think that the opportunity to provide people that detailed look uh, is a, as you said, just a complete rarity in this world. We, we never get this opportunity, but also it was sort of part of our journalistic duty in a lot of ways uh, in a case that was so deeply um, scrutinized um, and such of great public interest um, for a variety of reasons, not just because of the nature of the case, but also because of a lot of the questions that the case brought up in terms of the ways in which, you know, the difficulties of prosecuting these cases, you know, the continuing difficulty of, of working with um, alleged sexual assault victims, you know, and so Uh, I think there were just a lot of big questions that this really gave us insight into. And so obviously we really wanted to take a close look. Um, And I think that what we saw was really uh, interesting. It was a very emotional uh, audio. Uh, Terry and I spent hours uh, listening to every word that was spoken, some sections multiple times. Um, And I think uh, at the, at the sort of the foundation of it all, what we were really trying to do was we were trying to give a clear framing of what the district attorney's thought process was when they made this really pivotal decision. Um, and so we sort of broke it down by charge and walked people through uh, the meeting as if they were there, right? This is this is how it was explained. Um, and it was, um, I think, sort of just gave people a perspective that's really hard to get. Yeah, and just, I guess, to keep people up to speed, uh, those elements uh, were uh, statutory rape, and there was uh, a rationale around why that wasn't prosecuted, and also forcible rape, right? What, uh, uh, what, what, what was it that the prosecutor shared with the uh, victim here? Yeah. So, well, we, I mean, we could go through the whole thing. So there is a quite a bit that they presented. So there's actually three sort of bodies of charges that they went over. So there was a uh, forcible rape, uh, statutory rape, uh, and, um, rape by intoxication. So, uh, so those are the three. Um, and what it really boiled down to without getting into all of the narrative, I highly encourage anybody who hasn't read it to read it. Um, but what it really boiled down to is that there was not enough evidence to prove beyond a reasonable doubt um, that these things occurred and so therefore charges were filed. Uh, What was not said was any sort of statement of belief on the fact, you know, on the part of the deputy district attorney. The deputy district attorney was extremely focused on the evidence that they had available to them in this case and what way they were able to prove beyond a reasonable doubt, which is her ethical uh, obligation as a prosecutor. Um, so it was really an exploration of the evidence that they did and did not have um, and sort of where that left them. I think also one of the interesting things, although it's a little bit in the weeds, but for people who are sort of interested in the legal process, there was also a very detailed description of the legal requirements that come with these charges. You know, this these charges have a lot of um, there's a lot of legality. There's a lot of um, sort of evidence markers that have to be met 
in order for prosecutors to be able to bring charges. Now, granted, uh, there's a lot of debate on that front, especially when we're talking about sexual assault cases, uh, you know, about whether prosecutors could do more uh, to bring these sorts of cases. Uh, prosecution rates are abysmally low when we're talking about this. Um, but there are these sort of specific wickets that need to be hit when we're talking about bringing forward certain cases. And there was a really detailed explanation in this meeting about what those are um, and about what the prosecutors felt they uh, did and did not have evidence for. Yeah, definitely a fascinating uh, uh, look inside. I guess, of course, as the civil case goes forward, that will uh, pre present more context around the district attorney's decisions and uh, uh, might help us to see more clearly, I guess, how the different parties feel about whether they were warranted. Um, Dana, I wanted to turn to you. So the, the, as the uh, editor over this whole, uh, this whole um, uh, area of coverage, tell me you're thinking about the challenges of fairness in all of this, right? So here we have these uh, civil defendants who have been named long ago, named in a civil case before there was a criminal case, a little unusual. And now uh, uh, on the criminal side, uh, things have unwound in such a way that they are not charged. And yet we, uh, uh, a couple of times, have returned to the story and written about those people again. What, uh, uh, how do you balance the, the fairness around uh, all of this? Well, I guess I'll begin by saying with um, really almost any criminal case that we cover, and yes, I understand we got to a point with this one where there were no criminal charges filed, but anytime we are writing about you know, criminal accusations, at the beginning of that case, at the beginning of that process, a lot of the information that we are getting is one-sided. It's coming from um, those making the accusations. It's coming from um, the investigators who are, you know, working on these issues and examining the evidence, collecting the evidence. It's coming from the prosecutors who are considering the evidence, you know, to the extent that any of those parties will talk to us. And of course, in any situation like this, we are reaching out to those who are accused and trying to get their side of it. Um, you, you know, the the people on the other side of this, the people who are facing these accusations are often kind of set back on their heels. Like, do I respond? How much do I say now? You know, do I do this in an open public forum? Do I wait until I'm in a courtroom, which could take in many cases years? So we're dealing with all of that in really any criminal case that we cover. Then you've got a case like this where the volume is turned all the way up because you're dealing with um, football players, in some cases, high profile football players. You're dealing with San Diego State University, which is clearly an institution that's very important to our community. Um, there are a lot of issues that sort of ratchet up um, the situation here in terms of how we cover it. So with all of those things in mind, we tried very hard, as we do with any case, to be fair. We talk to everybody, or at least make the attempt to talk to everybody. And how we organize the information in the story, we try to be very careful about that, to make sure that um, we, are, we are giving people their opportunity to speak on this. 
Um, this case was somewhat unusual, at least in terms of my experience as both a reporter and an editor, in terms of how the information came out, in terms of, you know, when we got the names of those who were accused. A lot of times we won't get that, you know, uh, in, in a case like this. Um, but in this circumstance, we had the uh, the civil case that was filed that named certain people. And so that put things in kind of a different order. So here we are in this last week, we're dealing with this new information related to um, these audio recordings and the discussion that happened in the DA's office. As was mentioned previously, all of that is very rare. Our first priority for our first story that we wrote last week on these newer issues, um, we wanted to make sure that the person that we had written about this high profile person, Matariza, that we had written about many, many, many times, this, this evidence or, or the fact that he was not, at least according to you know, some witnesses, he was, he was not in the room when the alleged assaults were happening, we felt that that was something that needed to be stated first in our story. Um, there, there were other ways to approach that story. And we took those approaches later. But for, for in fairness, out of fairness, we felt that needed to come first in light of the information that we had and didn't have previously. This was the new, the new, new. And that's what we needed to, to say first to our readers. Um, additionally, we reach out to all of those parties again to ask whether they would comment. In this case, we did have uh, at least you know, some statement or we had an interview with um, Arise's attorney. So we have to deal with this information as it comes to us or as we're able to gather it and make choices on how it is presented. And hopefully we're making decisions that are appropriate. I know that there was some pushback that we got about, you know, why, since there are no um, criminal charges, are you putting the name out there again? And I would argue that it would be unfair to the people accused in this case if we were to say, oh, well, now there's this new evidence. We repeat again that no criminal charges have been filed, but we don't use their names again. I think that that would be unfair to them. We need to say as loudly, figuratively speaking, as mm -hmm. we did previously, that there is this new information that may or may not point to a different conclusion in this case. So we yeah. needed to say that up front. Yeah, I do. You know, I do see some cynicism in the public around the media. And, uh, you know, on this case, as on many others, uh, I heard uh, things like, well, when all these guys are cleared, you're not going to put that on the front page. Uh, um, and, uh, of course, that's incorrect. Of course, uh, we did uh, do just that. And then followed by, as you're pointing out, Dana, the question, well, is that really fair to keep putting them on the front page? So it is sort of a tough corner to be in. Um no simple answers to these questions. Uh, Laura, I wanted to uh, finish with with you because you and I dealt with um, two uh, 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 criminal cases that did not go forward against prominent people here in the last week. Uh, this Matareza case and the Denny Sanford case uh, where uh, search warrants 
uh, for his electronic devices where child pornography was found some years ago finally came out this week. And we struggled with, well, what is the the proper play of uh, of, of each of these stories? Uh, so I don't think there's a, a simple answer, but maybe um, you could talk a little bit about how the prominence of people plays in and also these issues of fairness. Right. And and as Dana was just saying, I think our our goal is to be fair in, in these circumstances and to really think through based on what we know and when we know it and the stories that we have written, how, how can we best be fair under the, the circumstances? And the conversation that, that you and I had about the Sanford case was interesting because in that particular instance, the new news uh, was the affidavits in support of these search warrants, and those were finally released. And we had reported on the search warrants at, at the time, but there wasn't a lot of information as to what the arguments were for those search warrants. And so these affidavits really gave some insight as to what they were looking for, what they had uh, been led to believe they would find, and really the circumstances around these images that were were found on uh, in in his email. And in this particular case, we didn't have the benefit of understanding why no charges were ever filed. the The attorney general's office in these this case was in South Dakota. The attorney general's office had ruled in May of 2020 that there were no prosecutable offenses, but we don't have insight as to the decision-making there. And in this case, part of my discomfort with uh, playing this on the front page was these affidavits are necessarily one-sided. You know, they they are the investigators' argument as to why these search warrants need to be um, approved. And Stanford's lawyers, of course, are saying that, you know, these are only allegations. There's There is no criminal case here. And they argued that uh, he likely was was hacked, and all of that is in the story, of course. But what it came down to in our conversation was, we are interested in this story because of his prominence and what he represents in this community. In many ways, it's a similar argument with the SCSU uh, story that the prominence of the allegations, the people involved, the institutions involved really propels the decision about how how we play that. But I, I think there's a significant question about fairness uh, in the Sanford case and how how we play that that story based on what we know. And what we know is is not as full as what we know related to the decision about the charges in the SDSU case. Yeah, fascinating topic and probably a whole nother podcast, because I think this issue of the prominence of people uh, uh, that that 
that uh, traveling with that is the implicit question of whether influence played a part in how their cases were handled. And as journalists, I think uh, we're pursuing those stories with a sense of duty to explore whether influence was unduly used and that that sort of colors the way we uh, we present these these uh, stories around prominent figures. Um, so we can get into that another time. I think uh, uh, with that, we'll leave this one for this week. Luis? Thank you very much, Jeff. And thank you to Laura, Dana, Terry, and Lindsay. To read the latest on this case and stay on top of the latest developments, log on to SanDiegoUnionTribune.com. That does it for this edition of The Backstory. For everyone at the San Diego Union Tribune, thank you very much for listening and for supporting local journalism. <laughs>